This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi Williams. The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On this week's show, we have the CEO of GenGE Esports, Chris Park. But first, let's get into some of the topics that people are talking about. Uh, let's start off with NBC and the Olympics. Mr. Novi Williams, you're all over it. Yeah, pretty big, uh, pretty big partnership coming out of uh, the next, you know, the next eight years for, for the Olympics. NBC, typically the way, you know, advertising and sponsorship gets sold for the Olympics. NBC has the rights to the Olympics and they sell their ad slots themselves. And then the USOC, Team USA, sells its sponsorship separately. Uh, well, they're combining their forces right now. So f- for the years 2021 to 2028, it's four Olympics. Uh, they are combining those assets. We're talking billions of dollars here, right? LA 2028, which is the end of those of that eight-year cycle. Um, they have a goal, $2.5 billion of sponsorships. That's a big number. Um, and NBC's ad sales are even going to be higher, right? So, so we're talking a lot of money here. They're hoping that by combining them, it makes it easier. Easier for brands, whether you're Nike, whether you're Kellogg, whether you're United Airlines, easier for them to come together. And, Bar, this and, is and how I see it. Imagine if it was a hot day in the summertime and there was a lemonade stand. One place sold the lemonade powder, the next place sold the water, and the next place sold the cups and the ice. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if you could get it pre-mixed with the ice in it at one stand? That's in essence what's going on here. They're, they're hoping that by streamlining the process and making it a one-stop shop, that more companies, more brands will choose to associate with those Olympic rings. And from the company side, you know, the, the, we're talking a lot of money. Obviously, this is a big investment made by companies. It's easier to go to your board and say, "Listen, this is this is the number. This is our Olympic spend right here," versus going with, "This is what we want to spend to get you know spots on the on TV. This is what we want to spend so we can activate and and use the Olympic rings in our marketing." It's much easier to just go one number. This is the spend. This and by is the way, that single it. entity model it makes everything easier. If you want to get something involved with a company on TV, it just makes it easy to permeate the entire organization. Let's move on now to the next topic. This is very serious. And Santa Anita has got to be one of the most well-known horse racing tracks, not only here in the United States, but around the world. And for people not following, since December 23 horses have died racing at the track because of injuries. They had to be euthanized. And now uh, the prosecutors are getting involved. Yeah, and they're actually establishing a task force to investigate the deaths at the park. I'm surprised that the number had to get to 23. (laughs) 10, 15, I don't know what the right number is. But this has been very public. This has been out there. Uh, And now they're looking into this task force. And we will look into what is going on at Santa Anita? Is there something beyond just the turf as to why these horses are dying? Yeah, the turf was kind of the first thing that was, you know, tossed out there, you know, weather, you know, a lot of rain, et cetera. Um, now, yeah, there, there's certainly questions about whether there, whether there's something else going on. It's a really interesting, you know, Santa Anita is owned by the Stronach family. They also own uh, Pimlico, uh, where where uh, one, of, one of the major horse races is every year. Um 
there's a lot going on with the family. They're the first family of racing, but this certainly does not help um, as they're trying to trying to figure out what, what they're when, doing with their with their money, what they're doing with their tracks, etc. When the DA comes out and says something like, "We want to find out," you know, we'll determine quote whether unlawful conduct or conditions Ooh, yeah. affected the welfare and safety of the animals. Conduct, you know, uh, it's not beyond a stretch of the imagination to understand that sometimes horses are given things to promote performance. Is that contributing to this? That's what they're drilling down to. Worth mentioning that Santa Anita, for, for horse race fans or, or people who don't know, is one of the most famous tracks in the U.S. It's it's the premier track on the West Coast, from what I understand. So, you know, Churchill Downs, you know, it's on that level for, for horse racing fans. Let's talk about some hockey. Oh, my goodness, the Penguins, they are gone. Goodbye. I'm used to, like, you know, big names uh, with the Penguins. We're not going to see uh, Alex Ovechkin. You're not no. Sid the Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Eben just literally, oh, if you heard Jesus. something on that, oh. Eben just literally clunked his head on the microphone. That was, that was, that was the thought I heard. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What and, and happened? Bar, Bar, which team was it that eliminated those Penguins? Oh, yes, the New York Islanders. Oh, hello, Mr. John Ledecky. Thanks for listening. Yes, yep. the Islanders, the team I grew up rooting for. The uh, the Goring, Bossy, Tanelli, Potvin, Trottier, Smith. Now, look at this. The New York Islanders, for the first time since, like, 83 or whatever, swept the series. But nobody saw this coming. Uh, Eben, Eben, did, would you have said the Islanders will sweep the Penguins? Or, let's look a little forward, or would the Blue Jackets <laughs> yeah. sweep the, the best team in the regular season? <laughs> You know Jeff Vinnick's Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, honestly, I'm su- I'm surprised by both of them. We talked about the Blue Jackets a couple a couple weeks ago on the podcast. I love their story. The GM Yarmo Kokalainen had a had a decision to make a couple just a couple months to say Yarmo ago. It's a great name. <laughs> uh, had a decision to make a couple months ago. You know, the, the, a lot of players are going to be free agents at the end of the year. A lot of them may not stay. He could have sold them for buyers pieces. Or sellers. Right. Buyers or sellers. He chose to be a buyer. Uh, they just beat the team that had the best regular season uh, in the past twenty years in hockey. Uh, just swept them, uh, and I wouldn't want to play Columbus right but now. No, 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 absolutely not. But good or bad for hockey? Hockey needs exposure. You just lost your biggest name in Sidney Crosby, yep. and you just lost your top team that would probably score, like you would think, would score 50 goals a game and make everybody like, wow, this is so exciting, this is great. This, I don't know if this is good for hockey. Hockey fans are going to be there anyway. Is the casual fan going to link or hook up to the Columbus Blue Jackets and the defensive-minded New York Islanders? Probably not, but it's it's an interesting – hockey's in a fun place where there's a lot of these you know bizarre market – teams you know Carolina has, has had some fun this playoffs you know Columbus certainly Nashville Vegas in the past couple of years uh, there, there's a lot of enthusiasm in these smaller markets for NHL teams right now see shoot no Red Wings to talk about that's why I'm bumming what in the H-E double hockey sticks happened see what I did there you brought in the hockey sticks on a hockey store yeah that's it. <laughs> now look who's here Chris Park CEO of Gen G Esports fresh off his run in Central Park See, I wish I could run. What, 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 what do you mean you wish you could run? It, I, it involves walking, but faster. What? Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> uh, hold on for a second. Yeah, tell Park, me a little bit about Chris. Yes, Park comes from a long career in sports business leadership and building innovative brands, most recently from Major League Baseball, where he served since 2015, most recently as Executive Vice President of Product and marketing. Chris, thanks for coming in the studio. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to have you. Enjoy your run. Uh, <laughs> I did. Didn't know we were going to become are you, public. Are you, yeah. oh, that's, <laughs> you're not allowed to run in Central Park. Everybody does I that. I hope so. Do you, do you do good thinking? 
when you're running? Does business go through your head? Yeah, I do. I think there's actually a, an interesting trade-off these days where on one hand, you can be listening to a podcast while you run, in which case I feel like I don't really do a lot of free thinking. Uh, and then the other hand, on the other hand, if you don't listen to anything, you can do a lot of free thinking, but there's a higher risk of being bored. So I don't know what to do. do you, what, what is your routine? Uh, well, things, <laughs> ask Evan. Everybody here knows weird stuff just pops into my. It, it just, it, yeah, it just pops into my head all, yeah. all the time. But I'm like the esports <clears throat> novice. Uh, his son plays. He's into it. Evan certainly is into it. As listeners of the show know, I only know through my son. Sure. So I'm going to give you the simplest question I can, and I hope other people are out there who have kids who play. Who are these evil geniuses that created Fortnite? <laughs> and how do how does mainstream sports replicate what they've been able to do that my son not only just wants to keep playing but wants to spend money on skins that as near as i can tell do not give him any advantage in the game he just wants to be cool yeah so those are often known as cosmetic yeah for sure well i think part of what's really interesting about today is that you know Esports itself in the current generation is really only about 20 years old. So it's acknowledged to have been born in Korea back in the late 90s. So when you say you're an esports novice, I think the great thing about today is we're all kind Everybody's of novices, novice, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think so. So what, what's fascinating, I think, about the space as well is even the premise of the question is up for debate. I'm not sure whether traditional sports will be able to replicate exactly what is going on in You just made the commissioners and- <laughs> cry. You just made well, every owner cry. <laughs> but with a caveat, which is that I think as we're seeing increasingly, and I certainly saw even in the product teams that I managed in my last year at MLB, there's an influence of gaming and of esports that's already making it, itself known throughout the way that we look at and, and experience traditional sports that I think is going to only grow. So the reason why you're now seeing, for instance, NFL nationally televised games broadcast on Twitch is an example of this. There's a desire to reach an audience that only esports fans have or that only esports companies know how to connect with. And I think that's only going to grow over time as, frankly, every, you know, the, the children's generation today. It starts big, to age. It was a big club over my head when the NFL did that deal with Fortnite. Uh, I was right. like, we had a little debate. Who needs who more? Right. <laughs> right. Right. And it isn't often where I'm like, the NFL is the tail and something else is the dog. But in that scenario, Fortnite was the dog. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and I think it's it's a, it's a unique time because uh, I think speaking from my experience also at traditional sports leagues, uh, there is a, a generation or maybe now probably two generations worth of younger people out there who are growing up with sports and, and content in a very different way from the people who are, let's say, owning traditional sports teams by and large. Talk us through the decision to leave Major League Baseball. Are you a gamer yourself in your history? Kind of what made you make the jump from traditional sports, a world you know very well. The first 32-hour baseball game, you said I'm out. <laughs> well, the funny thing is the, the first, actually the first uh, League of Legends match that I watched in person in Korea of ours took over three hours oh because of wow. computer glitches. So I thought maybe I had brought the wrong kinds of habits <laughs> over into this world. Now, so the, the decision for me actually took me as much by surprise as anything. So I had you know personally known uh, found the founder of Gen.G, Kevin Chu, for about a couple years, and we had had great conversations about our shared uh, visions of, I think, what the future of sports and media are going to be. But that was long before I certainly had any thought that I would be working anywhere else anytime soon. I think for me, uh, a lot of what I did at MLB 
largely, I think, paved the way for me to be able to do something like this. So, can you get, can you give the listeners an idea? What are a few of the things that you that you sure. can say I did this? Yeah. So I, I had the pleasure, really, and it was you know thanks so much to Commissioner Manfred for letting me <laughs> do a lot of things and bounce around. Uh, but over three stints at the commissioner's office, I first started out uh, purely in a legal position. So I was counsel for the Labor Relations Department, which, as you probably know, is, <laughs> is the command center uh, of all things player. But for nerds like me, is really not boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is why we got into the sport in the first place. I, I bounced out to do some consulting, came back and and started to do sort of half legal, half business stuff. So we launched a, a team that was essentially managing like the business side or the economic analysis for collective bargaining. And my second stint did that through the 2011 bargaining round and then left again, went out to the West Coast, primarily at Facebook. And then since I came back most recently, I, I essentially ended up uh, evolving the role over time, but was managing three group. So product, which is basically all of our digital product development for the fan-facing content and apps. And second is all of our league marketing. So the traditional stuff you see about what the campaigns are going to be at the All-Star Game, but also digital marketing and then international business development. So the league has four international business offices that are very near and dear to my heart in in London, which I I think you're probably hopefully going to see soon, Mexico, Tokyo, and Beijing. And then so we we were essentially managing the entire PNL for the league that was outside of the United States. I got to bring this up. <laughs> Prince Harry threw some, uh, let's say, some uh, shade on <laughs> Fortnite, and I was surprised when he said it. Uh, he said that the video game Fortnite is irresponsible and should be banned. Uh, your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it's. Well, one, I think it's great just that people have such strong opinions about this stuff. I think some, you know, I take all, obviously all opinions seriously, especially when they're royally derived, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but a lot of it is is a reflection of what we're seeing right now just in terms of timing. Um, I think every generation is different from the one that comes after it. But what's different about gaming in particular is that we are at a point where the new younger generations are not just into slightly different stuff from older generations, but they're into really different stuff. And they are actually riffing entirely off of entire uh, traditional categories. So even esports itself is in many ways a younger riff off of traditional sports, and we're going to see it happen over time. And that's why you know I often refer to esports as what I believe is the first actually and authentically user-generated sport that we've ever seen. So a, l- a good part of the coming years and months I think is a part a way of sort of you know, bringing those generations together, where I think you know, for, you know, for uh, in a lot of ways the younger people you know across the world and across the gaming community have a chance to kind of educate the the older generations or even people who are just not as engaged in gaming themselves firsthand uh, about what's so great about this content and the best versions of what it can be. Oh boy, it sounds like you want kids to talk to their parents <laughs> and show them how uncool they are. That, that well, does not as, play well yeah, in my house. As though that's not going to happen <laughs> anyway. I hear a lot of traditional sports folks talk mm-hmm. about community. It brings sports brings people together. It also tears them apart. They don't say that. Yeah. But I think esports does it even more so. For me, as again the novice looker. It's about community. Like my son and his friends are all on with their headsets yelling at each other. The fact they can do it all together. Yeah, I think that's right. It's really a fascinating part of 
the best and brightest games now and that are even emerging in the last say 12 to 18 24 months like Fortnite where you know even for for my generation we think of playing video games whereas i feel like even you know high school kids these days are not so much playing video games as much as in in, in the case of Fortnite they're actually hanging out in in the games themselves they should right? be in the 711 parking lot like we used to do yeah. right friday night in the parking <laughs> wait, lot or the wait. movie theater in the parking no. lot no come on oh, this, I never this did is that. this is nothing new i mean even in old geezer bar when pong came out we were glued to the set but you were playing, playing by yourself you didn't what do you no, mean you can't play well, you no, never you, attended you, a you, concert in a video game my son told me he attended does that count years from now people ask you what was your first concert for fun what was your first concert Oh gosh, it was actually. Well, you're gonna you're gonna get killed for this answer. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. It was uh, probably a, a classical music concert in Seattle because my uh, my sister is a concert violinist. Oh, very counts, right? For me, Chicago Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. Um, but my son is the right answer. Whatever that concert was on Fortnite, yeah, is that the right answer? Yeah. He told me he went to some concert last night. I, I was like, what are you talking about? And then I saw it in the news. I'm like, oh my god, he did this, and I had no clue it even was happening. Yeah, I think, and yeah, I think that actually one of the most recent versions of that was Marshmallow getting yeah, 10 that's million the one. people. Yeah, yep, that's right? the one. And it was, I think, it was the day before the Super Bowl, where then 24 hours later, Maroon Five got blasted for right. for their Super Bowl halftime concert. Right. So again, traditionally, we think of Super Bowl halftime as at least probably the biggest concert in the country. And the next day on Monday morning, you were seeing because of that contrast, really just in the same weekend, even USA Today writing about how the Super Bowl halftime show was. Is now no longer a cultural institution, and so the times they are a changing. And I, but I think you know one that's that's super exciting about where we are today in gaming. But I also think it's an inspiration for those of us who are in this business now to see how far can we push this, how much can we make this, in fact, more and more of an inclusive community. Like as you mentioned, there's sports. I think can bring people together, and they can also create more divisions. And I think it's a responsibility for all of us to see how we can push and lean into unity. It's a big reason, for instance, why. It NG, especially in the U.S., we're making really aggressive, heavy investments for our brand and also for the community into trying to empower women in gaming and to try to accelerate the day when we're going to see real gender parity. How does one do top. that? How do you go about doing that? Oh, well, besides just hiring women, how do you go about doing yeah, that? Yeah, so I think, well, for us, it is, I think, putting kind of our money where our mouth is. So, you know, our we are at, at our core, although I think this will change over time as we diversify an esports team organization. So we're making our lead leading in investments in some of the titles like Fortnite, for instance, uh, with uh, it, hire, hiring, acquiring, and training what we, who, who we believe are the best female gamers in the world who, with the right training and support and patience, are going to be able to compete you know, in co-ed tournaments at the highest levels, which is, I think, something that just doesn't happen to this point as much as it should, really for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual merits. And I also think for us, it's about creating a community and supporting the creation of content that actually serves and is a voice for a lot of the emerging segments of the community of gamers. So not just the kind of bros who have traditionally dominated certainly the competitive side, but also even the headlines on Twitch, uh, but also other parts of the demographic world. So that's why you know we're excited. One of the great things I think about esports is that 
for in an for an esports team, your training facility is always going to double as a kind of content production studio. So when our players they're scrimming for hours and hours at a time, but then when they're off hours, they're out streaming on Twitch, or and we're helping them, for instance, produce great content for them to to connect with their fans. So and their brand grows, that. and they promote your brand. Right, along and so with it. That, that's why we are, for instance, you know, our first very first nine uh, content creators we've signed up in the United States have also all been women because we believe that there is a, a message out there, and that more importantly, there's a segment of the community out there uh, that deserves more resources and support, and we want to create an environment that reflects that. Were there any baseball players doing that kind of stuff? I mean, how different is, the, from a you know social media, from a content standpoint, how different is your standard Gen G esports athlete relative to you know the, the guys that make you know yeah. tens of millions of dollars on uh, playing major league? Yeah, and you don't have to do anything. Yeah, exactly. I, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. No, I'm I serious. I don't think that's true, though. I, I disagree with Bryce that. Harper does not have to do anything on social media if he doesn't want to. Yeah, I think, well, I guess there's have to and have to, right? So there's, Yeah, I, I think there's an important <laughs> distinction there. Yeah. So there, there's a very lucrative market out there for the most talented esports players and full-time gaming streamers. And uh, you'd be surprised probably on the high end of, of how much money those folks can make. And we certainly have Oh, I know about Ninja. Yeah, Believe exactly. me, I know about him. I think that's a good question, though, Evan, which is, I think to the you know public facing there is a huge difference, obviously. So uh, it's a you know a big ongoing debate in, in at least some traditional sports about how much interaction with social media is too much. You know, how much should the players be just focused on uh, the next game or getting better and and sticking on staying with the message versus not? I think it really though again starts to break down at the age level. So I think the younger athletes coming up in even the traditional sports are much more of the same DNA of what you see in esports and in streaming. The difference is just the culture around it. How accepted is it? How okay or even commercially attractive is it for you to be out there and for the let's say streaming to a, an audience for several hours a day? How how is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is that a part of what you want in your brand? Or is it even okay to be talking about building your own brand in the first place? I think that's shifting, obviously. I think even in you know in the late 90s or late 80s or, or 90s, that the same debate was going on and it was just much harder for like Deion Sanders, for instance, to be accepted at all. Whereas a lot of the stuff that he did that you would think of as self-promotion is now assumed even in the prime like, time self-promotion. <laughs> no, no, prime time. Chris, you, you were talking about content. I mean, it's the word we hear all mm -hmm. the time now. Content, content, sure. Content. Who is doing it well out there? Like, give me athlete, and then give me league that people can sort of say, yeah, I get what they're trying to do and esports can learn from them. Yeah, sure. So, well, when I was certainly in the traditional sports world, the one of the examples I kept coming back to was LeBron. And he's obviously the, one of the highest profile folks. But part of why I think he was doing it well, quote unquote, was that he's continually pushing the boundaries and very subtly but methodically peeling back layers so question let me yeah. just interrupt one second yeah. can any athlete do that or is that lebron because he is so good nobody at the league or team level can say don't do that 
yeah, I I definitely think it's it's not just because he's famous <laughs> or not just because he's world class. I think it what what the reason he stands out is that he's world class and he's still able to do to do all of those to really be an exciting content creator. And so uh, that's what I think everyone is is out there searching for obviously. And, and in esports you see kind of the inversion. So in traditional sports I think it's typically been the case that you make your brand based on um, maybe until Zion Williamson let's say you make your brand on how good you are and that's it and then you get to a point later in your career where then you finally have a world you know, a worldwide following and if you can sprinkle on some sort of media side to it that's great or you get behind the scenes and you create your own media pro- you know, content production studio like LeBron and Chris Paul and all those guys have in esports it's really the opposite where at the as as these players are getting better in their teens and into their 20s they are creating content on the side in significant amounts. They are creating a brand in significant amounts. Some of them are actually having more lucrative careers on the content creation side than they are on the competitive side. And it's really the competitive side that they're using to just build up enough of a platform and an audience that can then launch them into the content creation side where they're still in front of the webcam, so to speak. So, And the other part though, which is why this is like a, a really fascinating question and one that I definitely wanna actually think about a lot is we're now no longer in a world where when you ask who's doing it well, you just look at sports personalities, or you just look at teams, or you just look at sports media companies. You look at everything because I look this at the Kardashians. Content, I, I look exactly, at exactly, yeah, yeah. And, influencers. Well, don't look too carefully. I, I think that, <laughs> they, you know, our sports content now lives on the exact same platforms. For instance, as kids, you know, opening up boxes of toys, and it's not the same then as the linear television experience where you had to like actually make a gesture to get to some other category of stuff. In this case, in the world of of scrolling through feeds that are algorithmically based on what most people like as opposed to you know a preset understanding of how to divide the universe of content uh, we're all in the same boat now we're all competing one to one with another and i think part of the great thing is it's now mo- opening up these dimensions so what is an athlete really right 30 40 years ago it was all about just how you were doing on the field but i think you know even this generation of athlete even on the traditional side is expected to bring certain bona fides to the table in terms of content creation and being a public persona that certainly the prior generations didn't have to think about. You're kind of in this, it's funny, The as you said, a, a good gamer, you know, might be able to make more money streaming than, than playing competitively, which is an interesting, you know, a quandary, I guess, for you, because, you know, mm-hmm. no major league baseball player, like, can use his baseball talent to make more money somewhere else, right? He's doing the thing. Is, is it, how, how do you balance that, that idea that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity out there that really doesn't have to be associated with Gen G. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, that these people can, you know, they can leave and, and and do their own thing and possibly make more money doing it. Yeah, that's actually the thing I'm maybe the most excited about in a weird way. I mean, I, I can see why it sort of looks like a quandary on, from the outside looking in. But part of what's great about, you know, certainly running and developing an esports organization is that we can chase those opportunities on the outside as well. So obviously a huge part of our business model, sure, on paper is that we're buying up teams and we're competing in the top leagues and we're going to do that. But kind of unlike most of the traditional sports franchises, we're not landlocked to do that. So if, if we have players or we have other talent who want to go off and create content that might be unrelated to a league, we can go with them. We can help them. In fact, our entire 
our, our facility can be the place that spawns those that's ideas. costly so it probably behooves them to actually utilize exactly yeah what you've got. yeah that's and that's another great part of what we're talking about today which is in the same way that the space is 20 years old the entire only 20 years old the entire ecosystem supporting talent is also no more than 20 years old so th there are early players for instance who are or I should say early companies or entities who are dabbing dabbling in like what you know for instance providing agency support to esports players the way that you see in the traditional sports world but we can do better for the next generation we can start to unpack what it means to be an agency in the first place and see are there things that we as an organization because of the resources we have because of the know-how we have and because the brand we're building can actually you know take the next be, be the next generation of support for players that doesn't maybe have some of the disparaging baggage that some of the prior versions had what does your McKinseyan look into esports on the red flag side of things if you can put that hat on what do you see and sort of worries you red flag as in whatever oh. worries you about the core business oh sure well yeah i think well part of what i think i owe the organization is to not have a mckinsey hat on too many hours of the day because we should, we deserve better i think than that um, i think that look i think the red flag really is real just about understanding the scope of the opportunity so this is a really young space i mean even when i say it's 20 years old it's the the professionalized league infrastructure around the sport is probably only like 18 to 24 months old if anything like that and and so this is a young community, literally in age, but also as a unit. So the culture around it is really new. The, the customs that we just take for granted in a lot of the other spaces about how to talk with one another, um, what different vernacular means uh, is also really new. And then also just with every passing day, this stuff is growing so fast that every week, every month, you're seeing more and more people from more and more parts of the world and more cultures coming in and, and interacting with one another. I think that's awesome. It really is kind of turned on its head my prior experience where in traditional brands, you're scratching your head trying to figure out how to get people's attention in places where your brand isn't already there. In gaming, we don't have the problem. We have the probably opposite problem where you presume that if there is a habitable continent in the world, there's going to be a lot of people playing games. But the culture of how we're going to get along and how we're going to serve one another and how we're going to support one another, that part, I think, is potentially a red flag if people in the industry don't take it seriously. And that's why, you know, we're, you know, certainly in our company, we're trying really hard to invest in that and to take a leadership role in making sure that we are an open platform for not just gamers but also for connecting the gaming community to to the outside world one thing i i consistently hear from folks in esports is that you know a lot of people are having trouble monetizing their community right it's it, the numbers are certainly gaudy um but to use major league baseball as an example i think baseball as you know you know does a very good job it knows how to monetize it, yeah. its audience um the it, it's a little harder correct me if i'm wrong I, I think it's a little harder in esports how is how are you finding you know the ability to you know building community is one thing building community that also builds your business <laughs> yeah is 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 a, is, a, is a different step right yeah it's it's a great question and it reminds me when i was you know running our international business at mlb uh, when we were working in markets where people didn't really care about baseball that much, or if they did, it was for reasons other than who was leading in the American League Central, that it's only in those situations that you come to realize 
how established and just just powerful the marketing infrastructure of traditional sports in this country is. The fact that you have generations of, of families in St. Louis, for instance, who just know everything about the sport. I can only speak from our personal experience. So, you know, we're two years old, old you know, less than two years into the, the life of the company, and we're trekking along really well compared to the, the metrics and the goals that we've set for us, for ourselves, both in terms of engagement and monetization. I think there is a fine line there between, you know, what people you know, having trouble monetizing and it just being really early stages. So the numbers are not there, but I think you know that's part of what's frankly exciting all of us at this point, that there are so few times, even in a hundred year period, when you're going to see a sports entertainment vertical emerge where you can get in really early. You know, it t We've often thought about this as kind of the closest thing you could have to a time machine to go back 50 or 60 years and have a chance to participate in developing a traditional NBA franchise or an NFL franchise, things that are where most of us are kind of landlocked out of already, where we're priced out, and where really you can't make much of a um, dent in the brand meaning. Uh, we're in the early stages of that right now. The fact that these leagues are only 18 months old and that we are startup teams working alongside startup commissioners and startup leagues is a really fascinating time, but it, it speaks to how much growth potential there is out there. But that's why we have jobs. You know, It's not going to happen overnight. It's not turnkey. It's supposed to be hard, or it's at least supposed to be non-trivial and non-obvious. All right. That's well, what we're doing. Chris Park, CEO, Gen G Esports. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Time now for takeaways, and it's something that I wanted to talk about earlier. You mentioned it during the show about how the NFL jumped in with Fortnite and how it was a great partnership. And I'm wondering why many of the other leagues, why the NBA, why the NHL, why MLB, have not joined in like – uh, the NFL did and uh, help make some coin for both. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, all those leagues are, are kind of finding their own way through esports, right? And, and NBA has NBA 2K League a partnership with Take Two Interactive. NBA may be doing the best in terms of really diving into trying to, you know, merge its gaming audience with its NBA audience. One thing I thought Chris did really well a lot of people have a tendency, and I think I fall victim to it too, to try to think about esports within the framework of traditional sports, right? Where revenue comes from ticket sales, comes from your, your media rights, comes from your sponsorship. I thought he did a really good job articulating, you know, the business opportunity that is totally different for an esports franchise, right? And a lot of that comes down to social media. A lot of it comes down to content. It comes down to the way their fans interact with their teams, uh, but but a totally different kind of model than what we're used to seeing in traditional right, sports. Right, Barr and Medina, you ready for my takeaway? And this doesn't happen often. I say something nice about underscore over here. But I, I thank God when it comes to this that I sit next to Eben Novi Williams and that he's here because it's an education for me. Bar, that, this is not your demo. It's not my demo. Even Novi might be a little bit out of the demo, but he's closer yeah. to it than, than yeah. us. And I appreciate the fact that he brings people like Chris into the studio talk because this would not be somebody I would talk to on a regular basis. But Eben said, you know what? This guy's going to be a great guest. He's going to be good. A good conversation. People will like it. And by darn it, he was right. You learn something from folks like this, and to see go from traditional sports. The more people you see going from traditional sports to esports, at smart people at that, you get to see what the goal is and how this is trying to grow. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now 
for the number of the week. I, I promise I'm not going to mess it up like I did the last time I did the number of the week. Best number of the week ever. Yeah, I, last time I said, number of the week, gentlemen, smiley face. And that's when it went downhill after that. <laughs> this number of the week. And yet we still trust you to do it. <laughs> and you're a year older, too. Oh, oh, fool me once. Exactly. <laughs> Here it is, 1.2 million. Did you do the math twice? Whatever. I, I did it twice. All right, 1.2. Two million. Is that a dollar or is that uh, a number? That is a dollar. That's a dollar. No, you got to say, you have to say one point two million dollars. Okay. Um, no, I just want a number. <laughs> I just any the number works. That's <laughs> the amount of money uh, Chris Davis made uh, between strikeouts last week. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? One point two? What? You were in Detroit. What can be one point two million in Detroit? Uh, somebody who signed a new contract, like per at bat. I don't know. We don't. Uh, know. No. No. I'll give you another hint. Oh. Uh, another number. Eighty-five thousand. It went from eighty-five thousand to one point two million. It went from eighty-five thousand. Yeah, I think we need. I think we need. Million. I think we're giving up here. I don't know. I think you're surfing right. websites we didn't hit. Uh, no, this, you know this. This goes back to Tiger Woods. This is the guy who bet. Eighty-five thousand dollars. Oh, we did know we that. Did You're see? right. We did know that. And but a lot more has come out about that guy. If you if you saw. Well, he said that this is the first time he ever placed a bet. Well, there was a lot to his story, but I mean, not that his background or that he's had some legal trouble really matters in terms of the bet, but. You just people are now looking to unearth more about the winner. Yeah, I th- more may come out about this. He's not a model better, right? If if you're PSA, if you're twenty five thousand dollars in debt, don't take out eighty five thousand dollars and bet it on a fourteen to one golfing. Don't long sell shot. your Amazon not, stock yeah, to pay for your that's, high. That's, that's, that's not your smart. epiphany bet. And I'm honestly, I'm a little surprised that William Hill chose to you know make a. I'm big guessing Nick Bogdan- Bogdanovich now is saying, "Ooh, I wish I had asked more questions." Make a big thing about presenting the check to him, yeah. but but yeah, the, uh, so much was made about that bet. It was the biggest single golf liability William Hill has ever taken in the U.S. Um, but you know, the, behind the story, which is could be a feel good story, is the fact that you know he he got supremely lucky um, and, and and should not be a model for sports betters in the future. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. And you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. 